0: You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Uh,
1: Matthew chapter number 9, we'll begin reading in verse number 32. The Bible says, As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil, And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It is never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love
0: you. Thank you for the great service we've had already, uh, the Sunday school hour, the early service today. and Now this time we get to be together. I pray that you would help me as I uh, do my best to present your word. I pray that you would give us what we need. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you'd speak to our hearts. I thank you for those who are uh, watching online, those who are listening by way of radio. I pray that you'd minister to those folks as well. And Lord, may we uh, not just be hearers of your word, but may we be doers of your word. Uh, May we receive it. May we take it and apply it and may it affect our lives and, and how we live. May our Christianity not just be something that we, uh, we pick up and put down on Sundays, but I pray it be something we carry with us all throughout the week. And Lord, we cannot do it without you, but we with you and with your power, uh, we know that we can do all things. And I pray that you give us those uh, victories in our lives that we so desperately need. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 9, in this passage, I'd like to spend more time at the Uh, first few verses. But for sake of time, I just want to make a comment. And then I'd like to jump up to verse 35. But in verses 32, 33, and 34, we see that here was a man who was possessed with a devil. Now, uh, you say, are people still possessed with devils and demons today? Absolutely, they are. And uh, I'm glad that Jesus still has power over the devils and over the demons. And I'm glad the blood of Jesus has power uh, over those things. But they bring this man who was possessed to Jesus. And Jesus cast the devil out of this man. By the way, you'd think they'd have been rejoicing. You think they would have been celebrating. You think they would have been weeping tears of joy. Hallelujah. This man got healed. And by the way, when something good happens in somebody else's life, we ought to rejoice. Uh, Sometimes we like to critique, and sometimes we like to sit back and say, well, I wouldn't have done it that way, or I wouldn't have reacted that way. You don't know what you would have done, and I don't know what I would have done. You never know. But Jesus heals this man who was possessed with a devil. It says, and the multitudes marvel. And it says they uh, had never so seen it in Israel. But verse 34, it says, the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. Now, this is not a trick question, but did Jesus do a good thing in this passage? Absolutely, he did. Was it something that, that nobody else could do? Absolutely. And yet Jesus does a great miraculous work, and there are people that want to sit back and critique. There are people that want to sit back and criticize. Welcome to 2023. How many of you know there's a lot of people out there? And people are so much more enabled today because everybody's got a microphone, right? Everybody's got a, everybody's got a Facebook, or everybody's got a, a blog, or everybody's got whatever. And I'm not against those things. As a matter of fact, I think you can use those things for a lot of good. But may we as Christians never be guilty of stepping back and criticizing what God is doing in somebody else's life. May we not be guilty of, of sitting on the bench and criticize what the players are doing out on the field. Uh, may we uh, do our very best to, uh, to rejoice with those that rejoice. Now I want you to notice Jesus' response to these Pharisees. Verse 34, uh, they criticize Jesus They criticized what he did and how he did it. And notice verse 35. I love this. Notice Jesus' response to those Pharisees. Oh, he got them good. Boy, he had a one-liner just for them, right? Boy, he got engaged in a debate and an argument, and boy, he went back and forth with those Pharisees. Is that what happened? No. As a matter of fact, he didn't even respond. Here's what he did, and here's my challenge for you. When you're doing a work for God and people come to criticize, keep on doing the work for God. Don't stop. Don't get sidetracked. Satan loves to deceive, but Satan also loves to distract. And Jesus did not take the time to try to set the Pharisees straight. Jesus got back on the mission that was before him. Notice verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities, in villages, teaching, in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. I'd like for you to notice in this passage a few thoughts as we, we look at Jesus and his response to the harvest. When he saw the multitudes of people, he saw that they we're weary. You know what that word weary means? It means exhausted. You know, we live in a day when people are exhausted. And I'm not just talking about um, physically. But people are, they're, they're mentally drained. They're emotionally drained. People are looking for happiness. People are looking for joy. They're looking for pleasure. They're looking for something that can bring a, a permanent satisfaction But, friend, I want to tell you, people are exhausted because until they find Jesus, they will find no rest. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. True peace and true rest does not come from the world, but it comes from Jesus. And when he saw the multitudes, uh, he was moved with compassion because they fainted, they were exhausted, they were weary, they were worn out, and they were scattered abroad. As sheep having no shepherd. I want you to see in this passage, uh, by way of introduction, I'll give you a, a short introduction and hopefully a short message. Number one, I see in this passage there are three people that I want you to notice. Number one, there's the Lord. And don't ever leave the Lord out of the equation. Don't forget that the harvest is not up to us, the harvest is up to God. We are laborers together with God. But I see the Lord of the harvest. Secondly, I see the lost. The lost are those who represent the harvest. The lost are people that do not know Jesus. They are people who have never been saved. I didn't say they're people who are not church members. I didn't say they're people who have not been baptized. I said the lost are people who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today or you're watching or listening today and you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior... I've got bad news and good news. The bad news is you're lost. The good news is you don't have to stay that way. So I see the Lord, I see the lost, and then I see, thirdly, the laborers. You say, well, pastor, what about the ones who are saved who are not laborers? (laughs) That category does not exist. If you're here today and you've been saved, God has classified you as a laborer. You have been given a job. You have been given a mission. You have been given a task. And our task is to get the gospel to those who are lost. So today you're either saved or you're lost. If you're saved, I ask you this morning, what are you doing for the lost? What are you doing to reach somebody? What are you doing to share the gospel with somebody who does not know Christ? I'm glad somebody shared the gospel with me. When I was lost, I'm glad that somebody uh, uh, drove a bus in 1970, 1969, 1970, and, and picked up my dad when he was a teenager in Rockford, Illinois, so he could come to church, so he could hear the gospel, so he could get saved. I'm glad somebody shared the gospel with me and my family, but the question is, what am I doing, and what are we doing to share the gospel with those who are lost? If you're saved, what are you doing for the lost If you're saved today, I've got some good news for you. Once you're saved, you can never go back to being lost. Isn't that a blessing? Aren't you glad that once you get saved, Jesus said, they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my Father's hand. I'm glad that when you get saved, you get saved, and it's not up to you to get saved, it's up to God. And it's not up to you to stay saved, that's up to God. Once you're saved, you're saved forever. If you're saved, you can't go back to being lost. But if you're here today and you're lost, the wonderful news for you is that you can be saved today. And salvation is not found in a church. It's not in an organization. It's not in a denomination. But salvation is in a person. His name is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're here today or you're watching or listening to the service and you don't know Christ as Savior, Jesus came to this earth to save you. He came and if you had been the only sinner on the earth, if I had been the only sinner on the earth, he would have come just for you and just for me. You say, how do you know that? Well, Jesus in the Bible is referred to as the good Shepherd. You know what the good shepherd did? The good shepherd was willing to leave the 99 sheep in the fold for the sake of finding one lost sheep. And friend, I'm glad that when I could not get to heaven and I could not earn my way to salvation and I could not do enough good to get eternal life, I'm glad that Jesus came to where I was. I'm glad that when I couldn't get to where he was, he came down to where I am and he made it possible for me to be saved by putting my faith and trust in him. So you're either saved today or you're lost. You're either a a, a part of the the harvest or you are a laborer in the harvest. You're in one of two categories. I see quickly in Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38, I see, number one, the sight. Jesus, when he saw the multitudes. You see... If we're going to get serious about the harvest, if we're going to get serious about the lost, we've got to see the lost, where they are, who they are, and we've got to get a burden for the lost like Jesus had for the lost. He saw the multitudes. People are not the problem. Sin is the problem. People are the reason that Jesus came to die on the cross. You and I are part of that people group that Jesus had compassion upon. Number one, the sight. Number two, I see the sorrow. The Bible says that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. That word compassion, we could use the word uh, sympathy. We could use the word pity. But compassion is so much more than just a, a feeling or an emotion. Compassion is that which motivates to an action. And so when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. He wanted to and he was willing to do something about the need. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus, uh, the ladies sang about that, that in the song. When Jesus was there at the tomb, the Bible says Jesus wept. Did you know Jesus knew what it was to cry? Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was one who was acquainted with grief, the Bible says. As a matter of fact, I believe that's why some people, when Jesus came on the scene, they thought maybe he was Jeremiah the prophet. Because Jeremiah the prophet, he was known as the weeping prophet and he preached for over 50 years. And every time you turn around, Jeremiah, he is crying. He wrote an entire book of lamentations, a book of with the sorrow and the heartbreak of the destruction of Jerusalem. Here's the amazing thing about Jeremiah. He was a man of great compassion, but he didn't see hardly any results in his ministry. As you read through the book of Jeremiah, it looks like the only convert he may have had was his assistant, his scribe, Barak. Some have said, well, Barak, that was his job, so he kind of had to be there, and, and I would agree with that. Can you imagine preaching for over 50 years and nobody gets saved? Can you imagine preaching for over 50 years and nobody gets right with God? As a matter of fact, they didn't just not get right. They got mad. They tried to kill Jeremiah. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They threw him down in a pit. They did everything they could to get rid of the guy. But here's the amazing thing. Jeremiah never lost his compassion for those people. Did you know those people you work with? That you've been praying for and you've been witnessing to and it seems like the more you witness the meaner they get Did you know you've got to have compassion for that person whether they like it or not? Did you know you need to care about people whether they respond or not? Did you know we ought to have compassion and leave the results up to God? It's our job to get the gospel to people whether they accept it or reject it. That's on them But our responsibility is to share the good news with them Jeremiah Did not see results during his ministry But it is very possible that it was Jeremiah's tears that fueled the courage of Daniel in Babylon. Daniel would have been a young man uh, uh, before the captivity. And I wonder when Daniel got to Babylon, I wonder if he remembered some of the preaching and some of the prophecies. And I remember I wonder if he remembered seeing the tears of Jeremiah and Daniel got to Babylon as a young man. And he's a captive in a strange place. And Nebuchadnezzar's the king. And they're trying to change Daniel. And they're trying to change those Hebrew boys. They're trying to influence them for the world. Oh, but that's not what happened. It backfired on Babylon. Babylon tried to change Daniel. But Daniel, because of his heart for God, because of the power of God in his life, Daniel changed Babylon. And friend, we're sending some young people out into this world. We're sending some children and grandchildren and some some teenagers out into this world. And I wonder if they saw in us some compassion. I wonder if that'd make a difference in their lives. You know what young people don't need to see? People who are cynical, people who are critical, people who are bitter. People that say, oh yeah, I used to believe that Bible, I used to go to church, I used to serve God, I used to sing the songs, I used to do this, I used to do that, yeah, I don't have time. No, no, no. Young people need to see some people that got something real, and that realness and that genuineness is going to make a difference in their lives, but it's compassion. Jude 22 says it like this, and of some, having compassion, making a difference, Number one, the sight. Number two, the sorrow that Jesus had when he saw the people, he was moved with compassion. Number three, I see the size of the harvest. The Bible says in verse 37, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. That word plenteous, it means there's a lot of it. We had in the early service, we had some farmers landing and and Garrett and Grant and some others, and I'm looking over here, Brandon, I know we got other farmers in here, but you know it's pretty overwhelming in my mind, I would imagine, when you see, you've got all these acres and acres and acres, and you're trying to do it by yourself. And when Jesus saw all of the, the multitudes, he saw the harvest, he said, it is a plenteous harvest, it's a large harvest. In Luke 10, too, Jesus said, the harvest truly is great. It, it is massive. There is so much. You say, Pastor, I, at my workplace, I work with 10, 10 people, and I think seven of those people are Christians, and so there's only three, that, or whatever the, the percentage may be. I understand that, but I'll say this. In our area, there are still a lot of people that need Jesus. There's a lot of people that need to get saved. There are nations in this world where less than 1% of the population even claim to be Christian. There are nations in this world that don't even have the Bible in their language. There are countries that do not have missionaries. I'm just telling you that there is a lot to do. The harvest is truly plenteous. Not only is the harvest plenteous, but the Bible says the harvest is ripe. That means it's ready. It means if you don't get that harvest in, it's going to be too late. You see, there is a a season of harvest. But then I see not only the size of the harvest and the season of the harvest, but number five, I see there's a shortage of laborers. Now, I'm not telling you what I'm saying. I'm telling you what Jesus says. He says, the harvest is plenteous, verse 37, but the laborers are what? Few. Boy, it's a big job, and there's just a a small number of workers to do it. The laborers are few. It's amazing the things that people get excited about, and it's amazing the things that draw a crowd. This last week, and I I saw it. It caught my attention, so I read a little bit about it. But this last week, there was an event that took place in Nebraska. There was a stadium that was packed with over 90,000 people. Does anybody know what that stadium was packed for? It was a volleyball game. They set the record for the largest attendance at a a women's sporting event in the world, 90,000-plus fans in a stadium to watch volleyball. Now, friend, I've got nothing against volleyball. I love volleyball. Two of my girls play volleyball. My other children, they love going to volleyball games for the concession stand. They don't watch any volleyball, but they sure have a good time going to the concession stand and getting popcorn, you know, and eating candy. But I'm just telling you if 90,000 fans can pack a football stadium with a volleyball court set up in the middle and they can be there for that. I'm just saying, I just think that God's people ought to be serious about doing the work of God. I just think if people can get excited about packing a stadium, uh, there was uh, something started yesterday. Um, some of you are say hunting season, but I think it was college football, right? <laughs> college football started yesterday and those stadiums are packed with Tens of thousands of people. I was looking at the scores uh, last night. You're going to love this. Did you know that people packed a stadium yesterday to watch Oklahoma play football? Oklahoma, I forget what they're ranked. These three teams are all top 25. But Oklahoma had a close game yesterday. They won, they defeated their opponent by a score of 73 to 0. Now, friend, I don't even know how you can call that a game. I don't know who I feel worse for. I know Oklahoma know Oklahoma's enjoying it, but can you imagine that other team? Can you imagine setting that kind of a record? You know, yeah, well, we got beat the worst by any, any other team in, in college football history. You know, Oklahoma beat us 73 to zero. That wasn't the only one. Fans packed out of stadium yesterday to watch Ole Miss beat their opponent 73 to seven. I, be, I didn't watch the game. I wonder if they just said, would you please just run one in? We've been trying to let you score at least one this whole game. Here, go here. We'll help you. We'll carry it for you. 73 to 7. Oregon defeated, I think it was Portland State. I forget who they played. They won their game yesterday by a score of 81 to 7. Now, friend, again, I I can't imagine how that's exciting. I mean, I think you, you might almost enjoy watching paint dry more than watching a blowout game like that. But I'm just saying... If people can get excited about those kinds of things, I believe saved people. I'm not talking about the unsaved now. It doesn't surprise me that lost people don't come to church. It doesn't surprise me that lost people don't care about the things of God. That's because they don't know Christ. But for those of us that know Christ, how are we not serious about seeing people saved and seeing the gospel get out? Are you kidding me? You see... The world gets excited about their things, but as God's people, we've got something more exciting. You say, oh, pastor, what's more exciting than hunting or what's more exciting than fishing or what's more exciting than football? I'll tell you what's more exciting. How about the creator of the universe that created the world? How about the son of God that came and died on a cross and rose again three days later? How about last Wednesday? We were in Revelation 19 the battle of Armageddon where Jesus defeats the Antichrist and the armies of the world by opening his mouth and speaking the word. I'll tell you that's more exciting. Here's why. Because what we're dealing with is eternal. What we're dealing with is life and death. What we're talking about is heaven and hell. We're not talking about a a sports record. We're not talking about an attendance record. We're not talking about a touchdown. We're not talking about a home run. We're talking about something that will matter for eternity there's a shortage. There's a shortage of laborers. You say, Pastor, what are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you one thing you shouldn't do. Don't panic. Because did you know that God only needs a few? God doesn't need a majority. Now, I wish we could pack this auditorium out about three or four times on a Sunday. I'd be okay with that. And it wouldn't be any more work for you. We'll figure it out. But here's what I'm saying. I wish we could pack this place out a few times. But God's not always looking for the crowd. God's looking for the individual. In Ezekiel 22, verse 30, God said, and I saw it for an army. I saw it for a nation. I saw it for a thousand. Oh, no, no. He said, I saw it for one. Just one person that would stand in the gap and make up the hedge. God is looking for individuals like Noah one man who is willing to build an ark. He's looking for individuals like Moses, one man who is willing to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. He's looking for just one man like Elijah to take on the 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel. God looked for 12 disciples who turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, God is not limited by numbers. God will take a few because little is much. When God is in it. If God be for us, who can be against us? I see number five, the shortage of laborers. Number six, the solution. The solution is this If the harvest is plenteous and the laborers are few, let's be laborers. Let's do something about it. Let's not just sit around and talk about it. Let's not just sit around and and talk about how how big the harvest is and how few the laborers are. Let's get busy. You see, when you go to work in God's harvest, you're never working alone. You say, well, 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 you don't know, my friend didn't come to church or my friend stopped singing in the choir. Or my friend stopped the bus. No, 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 I'm not talking about your friend. I'm saying when you're working in the harvest of the Lord, the Bible says we are laborers together with God. Now that's a good partner to have in the ministry. That's somebody you want on your team. Some of you, you you have a, a, a partner at work, and maybe that partner at work doesn't help with work. Maybe that partner at work creates more work for you. But I'm glad to tell you, when you get on board with God, when you serve God, when you serve in the harvest, you are laboring with God. You are together on the same team, working for the same cause. The Bible says that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Colossians reminds us that we are laboring fervently in our prayers. Prayer is work. Prayer is labor. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord, and God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. You say, Pastor, I feel like I've been a laborer. I feel like I've been trying. I feel like I've been serving God, and I feel like I'm I'm not getting anywhere. Well, friend, I want to tell you, there's coming a day when we're going to stand before a judgment seat of Christ, and God is not forgetting your work, let me tell you that. God is not going to leave you without a reward, but God will reward, God will repay. Jesus said in Revelation, I know thy works and thy labor. I see number six, I see the solution is to be a laborer. The solution is to get busy. And then number seven, I see the sending of laborers. So well, Pastor, I don't see where it says the sending. I see in verse 38 that it says that we're supposed to pray that God would send laborers, so when, as soon as he sends laborers, then we'll go. Well, here's the situation. Jesus has already sent the laborers. He said in John 20, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. And in Mark 16, 15, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in Acts 1, 8, he said, ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. So the laborers have already been sent. So we're not waiting on God to send laborers. He's already sent them. We're waiting on laborers to obey and be willing to go. My question for you this morning is this. What are we waiting for? The harvest is plenteous. Everywhere you look, people need Jesus. Everywhere you look, people need the Lord. Everywhere we go, somebody needs to hear the gospel. So what are we waiting on? Jesus has given the call. Will you answer the call? Will I answer the call? You say, well, pastor, I I feel like I'm trying. Well, wonderful. I don't think there's anybody in this room that would say I don't care about it. I don't think you'd be here if you didn't care. But I also don't think there's anybody in this room that could say, Pastor, I'm already doing enough. As a matter of fact, this last week, I think I overdid it. I think I witnessed too much. I think I served God too much. I, I, know, I think I gave too much. I, I know I prayed too much. I, just, I think I really overdid it, and, and I, I think I probably even need to cut back. No, I think the truth is, everyone in this room, if we're honest, I think there's more we could do. I think there's some more people we could witness to. I think there's more people we could pray for. I think there's more people we can encourage. I think there's more missionaries that we could send. I think there's some more work we could do in sending out buses and and having ministries to reach people and to help people with the gospel. But I don't want to do less. I want to do more. And may God help us to be laborers in the harvest. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack.